Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. This morning, we're going to start a series we're going to do over the month of June called the Stewardship Series. And, uh, and so over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking into the biblical perspective on finance and stewardship. And uh, before I get into it, I want to mention this because uh, there's some of these that are actually available today. And one of the things that I'm using um, as a bit of a resource, even as I'm sort of putting together this teaching series, is a book by Robert Morris called The Blessed Life. And I know there may be people who are here this morning, you've you've read this book. Um, If you haven't read it, um, and maybe if something of what we share over the next few weeks, really you feel like God's speaking to you about it, I'd encourage you to get this book. Um, To make it really simple, I actually cleared out Kurong this week. And so all the copies that were there, of which there were five, um, uh, are going to be available after this morning's service. You can purchase them. They're $23. That's what Kurong sells them for. And, uh, and then if you miss out on getting one this week, you can still put your name down and pre-order them because then Kurong will organize um, all the additional ones in the coming week and they'll be available next Sunday. So if you want to be able to buy that, you can. And it's one of the things that I'm utilizing as a resource in this series as well. And so it's The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. Encourage you to be able to get one of those. Can we pray? And then we're going to get into this this morning. God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I pray today that you'd help me to be able to preach it. That God, we might leave this place different. Lord, encouraged. And Lord, challenged. God, inspired to live lives that bring glory to you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Do you know that there are more than 500 verses in the Bible concerning prayer? And there are nearly 500 verses concerning faith. But there are more than 2,000 verses on the subject of money and possessions. Clearly, from the Bible's point of view, we need to understand money and actually how to handle it. And so in this series over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the the principles governing financial stewardship, giving, blessing, and the myths that we hold about money. Now, generally, when it comes to talking about money in church, I know some people who you keep for the first time, you're like, I knew it. I'd come to church and they'd talk about money. I promise you, this is not every Sunday. But for the next three Sundays, yes, you're absolutely right. I'm talking about money. Right? Why would we do that? Why would we take three Sundays in the year to be able to talk into this? Because the Bible's got a lot to say on it. And so generally when it comes to money, churches have three approaches. One is they don't talk about money at all. Because it's rude to talk about money. Because people will get offended if you talk about money. Because people will leave the church if you start talking about money. And so, and so we don't talk about money. But for some churches, that's true. They're just so embarrassed to talk about money. They're so uncomfortable talking about money. They just never talk about it. And that's a real challenge because the Bible has lots to say about money. And it's actually one of the areas that we can be discipled in. But some churches don't talk about money at all. For other churches, their response is to preach a prosperity message in which prosperity is an end in and of itself. The kind of give to get philosophy. And that's equally unhealthy. And then there are churches, which I would like to place us in this, that teach people the biblical principles of financial stewardship. And so over this next three weeks, we're going to look at stewardship and the biblical principles governing financial stewardship. So why do this series now? Well, one of the reasons for us doing this series now is because I actually really believe that our sermons on Sunday should apply to our everyday lives. That's really important. It should be true of all of our Sundays, but our Sundays ought to apply to our everyday lives. It shouldn't just make sense on Sunday. It should make sense the other six days of the week as well. 
You know, they say that in marriage, most marital fights are over two things, sex and money. I can't wait till we get to the sex series. That will be really interesting. But it's stuff that we talk about, don't we? We talk about it around the water cooler in the office. We talk about it in our homes. We talk about money. And so if we're going to preach sermons and if we're going to have Sundays that apply to our everyday lives, we ought to. You know, the truth is we spend a fair amount of our week each week going to work in order to be able to earn money. And so it's important that we talk about it. Secondly, because I want our church to have a strong biblical foundation for financial stewardship. It's one of the things I really want for our church, that we would have a strong biblical foundation for financial stewardship. Here's the third reason. It's June, which means it's end of financial year, which means you can't go anywhere at the moment without somebody talking about money. If you're in business, everybody's talking about money. And so what a good time to be able to talk about it. Well, everybody's talking about money. Why shouldn't we at the same time talk about it? Here's the other reason why we're talking about stewardship now. And that's because we don't have any offering coming up. Our Thanksgiving offering is way later in the year. It always has been. And so there's no sense in which we're talking about money now because there's an offering coming in two weeks. Our Thanksgiving offering is way later in the year which gives me the chance to be able to speak into financial stewardship and it not feel like it's connected to some offering that's coming up. But here's the last reason, and this is true. Because if in your spiritual journey you can prove the faithfulness of God in the area of finance, then you'll be able to prove it in every other area of your life as well. Billy Graham said this, he said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, It'll help to straighten out almost every other area in his life. Why? Because it's impossible to talk about our treasure and not at the same time talk about our heart. Isn't that true? That few things reveal a person's heart quite like the way we use our money. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we're going to begin this morning by looking at this first big idea in this stewardship series, and that is the idea of stewardship. And to do that, we're going to go to one of the passages that Jesus spoke into on the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn there. This is Matthew 25. It's Jesus talking about stewardship. Matthew 25, verse 14, this is what the Bible says. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And one of them he gave five talents, and to another he gave one talent, and another to two, and then another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received gained two more also. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20, so he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, 
reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. Verse 29, for everyone who has, more will be given, and he um, will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives this parable, this story to help illustrate the principle of stewardship. There's a lot going on in this passage. And stewardship is a much bigger idea than just applying to our finances. Stewardship is a much broader concept than just that. But even in this parable, Jesus applies the concept of stewardship to resource, to the talents, which was a financial trade. And so we want to this morning dive into this and look at four observations from this story that Jesus tells us and what it teaches us about the biblical concept of financial stewardship. Here's the first thing that we notice in the story that what they were given did not belong to them. The the whole scripture begins in verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus said, a a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. In Jesus' parable, who's the owner of the goods? It's not the servants, it's, it's actually the master, and yet he entrusts what he owns to these servants to be able to steward. It wasn't the stewards, it was actually the masters. This is the big principle of stewardship, right? That that everything you think you own is really on loan, right? That's what stewardship really means. Stewardship is the idea that everything you think you own is actually on loan to you. There was a Sunday school teacher who'd been teaching creation for a few weeks with the Sunday school class, and and eventually at the end of the, the class, she said to one of the young boys in the class, so, so having learned about creation for the last few weeks, who made you? And the little boy said, well, well I did. And the teacher, realizing that obviously she hadn't done a good enough job trying to teach the young boy about stewardship or about creation, said, well, no, 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 but, but who, who made you? Well, again, the boy said, well, well, I did. Well, you know, God made me a little bit, but, but I grew the rest myself. The truth is, when it comes to our finance, we can start to think, well, well, it's mine. I mean, I worked hard for it, and, and I put in a lot of hours, and there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Like, like it, it, it's mine. It belongs to me. But stewardship is the idea that actually every good thing that finds its way into our life actually, actually comes from God. That God is our source and our supply. And yes, we've got to be diligent, and yes, we've got to be able to work hard, but, but actually every good thing comes from, comes from God. And so even if you think about it in practical terms, yes, you worked hard, but, but who gave you those abilities? Who gave you breath in your lungs? Who gave you the opportunities to work and to be able to earn? Who gave you the good health in order to be able to do those things? That every good thing comes from God. James chapter 1 and verse 17 puts it like this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. The God who put the stars in the universe, that's where our good and perfect gifts come from, who does not change like the shifting shadows. That actually what James is pointing out, that every good thing that comes into my life 
comes from God. That, that anything you have in your life that's good and that brings joy and that gives life is actually there as a result of God. Think about it this way, that, that all of the money and wealth that you'll have in your lifetime existed before you. It'll also exist long after you. But what you and I are called to be able to do is to steward, to be custodians for a time. And that's really important to remember where it is that our wealth comes from, to remember where it is that every good gift comes from. It didn't come from the Australian Mint. It doesn't come from our employer. It comes from our provider, who is God. This is incredibly important because our culture will try and teach you that it's your own hard work and efforts. That, that, that when everybody's talking about doom and gloom in the economy, right, it's important to be reminded that actually we serve a God who is outside of the economy. We serve a God who, who actually, he is able to do far more than any of the economists on, on Channel 9 can do, right? When Comcept uses their gloom gauge, he doesn't have a gloom gauge. He exists outside of Comsec's gloom gauge, right? Because he's our provider, and that's incredibly important to us because if you're anything like me, it's easy to start to find yourself slipping into thinking, well, actually, I made this happen. I've shared this story with us before, but some of you know the story of for Elise and I, how in a period of six months, God gave us two new cars. He sold a house that wasn't on the market and he gave us a miraculous daughter after five miscarriages. But that whole thing was preceded by God speaking to us. And here's the truth, right? I would say there's a handful of times in my life that God spoke to me. It's not like that happens every other day. But those sort of handful of times where it's like, that was clearly God. That was not an idea that originated with us, right? That was God speaking to us. And the thing that preceded that was God saying to us, the church we were working for, I was working in the church and on pastor's wages, which is not massive, we're on a single income. Johnny is just about to start school. Elise is volunteering her time in the church. And we'd become quite frugal. And, and, and we didn't worry about that. We were quite happy with what we had and, and, and whatever. And, and, but, but we had learned to live well within our means because we didn't have a lot of means. And God challenged us and said, the church is your employer. It's not your provider. And it was like a slap in the face from God because at some point along that journey, we'd started to see our employer as being our provider, but, but God challenges and said, actually, no, they're your employer, I'm your provider. It was actually a little bit embarrassing for God to have to say that to the pastor, right? But it's important that we get that, but because if you look for every other source to be your provider, you'll totally miss the truth of what the Bible says, and that is that it's God who is our provider, that every good and perfect gift, it comes from above. That's important for us to remember. That the first thing we notice in this story is that, is that they were given something that did not belong to them. That they were called to steward something that was not theirs. Here's the second thing we notice in the story. That they were all given different amounts. This is also important. Next week we're going to go into looking at first fruits and, and how blessing comes on that. But, but for right now we're looking at this big concept of stewardship which begins with the idea that everything you think you own is on loan to you. But here's the next thing we notice in the story, verse 15. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. 
It's kind of difficult, right? Especially in a PC culture, that they weren't all given the same thing. They were all given different things. One got five, one got two, and one got one. And here's the beauty of it. In the story that Jesus tells, it's not like he brings them in each individually. He brings all three of them there, and the guy who gets five sees him get five, and the guy who gets two sees him get five, and now I've got two, and the guy who gets one watches those guys get five and two, and then he gets one. It's kind of all happens simultaneously. And the guy says, all right, guys, and he leaves. But what they were given wasn't their own, but also what they were given was different amounts. Here's the truth, that God wants you to prosper. God does want you to prosper. But prosperity looks different on everyone. And we struggle with this because our culture deifies and worships money. That's true, right? Our culture is geared for financial comparison. And here's the truth when it comes to finance, right? And it comes to good stewardship, right? And bringing glory to God, you will never be satisfied while you're looking at what others have. Isn't that true? Come on, we don't even need to give examples for that. We already know the examples, don't we? Right? That our, that our culture is geared towards financial comparison. And here's the truth of it. You and I will never be satisfied while we're looking at what others have. But this is equally true. You'll also never prosper while you believe God wants you to struggle. But God does want you to prosper. Just that prosperity doesn't look the same on every single person. 3 John chapter 2 says this. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So the question is, what are you doing with what you're given? In terms of your time and your talents and your finances and your opportunities. Come on, stewardship is bigger than just finance. We're applying it to finance, but it's bigger than just that. What are we doing with what it is that God has placed in our hands? It might look different to what's in somebody else's, but what are we doing with what God has entrusted to us? Are we comparing it with what others have? Or are we stewarding it with an attitude that wants to bring glory to the giver? Here's the truth. Our culture is geared for comparison. But the other thing that's true is that our culture deifies and worships wealth. And you can worship wealth regardless of how much you have. That's not about an amount. That's about a position that it takes in your own heart. Right? Because I've seen people who have lots of wealth and their wealth doesn't have them. And then I've seen friends who they don't have a lot of wealth at all, but their wealth clearly has them. I've shared this story before about how I proposed to Elise on a, on a million-dollar boat, which now looking back, I'm like, I would never have asked for that. But, but, but I proposed on this boat that a guy generously said, well, you know, you've got your boat license. Why don't you take the boat out? At the same time, there was a person who was so generous with a boat that, that in hindsight, I'm like, was that even insured for somebody who was under 25 to drive? I don't even know. At the same time, I had a friend who had a $3,000 Ford Focus. He wouldn't let anyone touch it. Come on, it's not about an amount, right? His Ford Focus had him. This other gentleman, he had a boat, but he, his boat didn't have him. And, and so in a culture that deifies and worships wealth, you, you, you can worship wealth regardless of how much you have. It's not about an amount. It's not about whether or not you have money. It's about whether or not money has you. This is really important because money isn't good or evil. Money is simply means. And you can use it for good, and you can use it for evil. And here's the truth about money. Money makes an excellent servant. It makes a terrible master. 
When money is telling you where to go, it's got mastery over you, right? But when you're telling your money where to go, it's now serving you. You've got mastery over it. Money is an excellent servant. It's a terrible master. And here's the truth for most Christians, that that's pretty obvious, right? That in a culture that kind of deifies and worships wealth, like it's not like you and I are about to stumble into doing that ourselves. Not, not consciously anyway. And so for most Christians, we can, we can see the obvious problem with this, that, that money is actually not the answer to our problems, that the money can't save us. And if you place your self-worth in the same position as your net worth, then your confidence will ride the highs and lows of the economy. So the truth is the devil's not going to trip up mature Christians with the notion that making money the object of their worship. But he can be more subtle than that. And maybe you've found this even in your own heart and life, as I have found in mine. That the devil can be more subtle than that, that he can tempt us with pride or with guilt over the wealth we've received from God. I realize this is quiet, but it's because like, you're taking notes and you're taking it in, right? It's true. He's going to get you and I to trip over and start worshiping wealth. But, but he can cause us to either have pride or guilt when it comes to what God's given us. And so a spirit of poverty will cause you to be ashamed of the blessing of God. Hear me in this. Because I've found this to be the greatest struggle. Maybe it will be different for you, but, but for me, this has been. That a spirit of poverty will cause you to be ashamed of the blessing of God in your own life. That if you are faithful, and if you're a generous steward, then God will bless you. Sowing and reaping, that's a principle he put into creation. He cannot deny it. And so if you're a faithful, generous steward, then you'll be blessed by God, and there's no avoiding that. And the devil knows that he can't stop it either, right? But he can try and make you ashamed of it. That a spirit of poverty, it doesn't discriminate. It can afflict people who've got a lot of money, and it can afflict people who've got a little bit of money. And in my experience, the truth is people with money struggle with it the most. Think about this for a moment. Is there anything God could do in your life for which you should feel ashamed? The answer to that is, of course not. By simply doing things God's way, many believers receive blessing and somehow feel as if they have to apologize for that blessing. But don't ever allow the enemy to make you ashamed of the blessing of God. Truth is, if you're not susceptible to the trap of a poverty mentality, then the enemy will try the opposite approach, a spirit of pride. Because a spirit of pride is, is actually the same thing, but on the other end of the spectrum. That, that pride says, well, you earn this stuff. And your hard work, your ingenuity, your talents, you, you've made it happen. And so you should be proud of the blessing that you've received. And, and so poverty and pride work from the opposite end of the spectrum, but they have the same root problem. They want us to focus on the stuff rather than on God as the giver. And so a spirit of pride says wealth comes from hard work. And a spirit of poverty says wealth is bad and it comes from the devil. And so how do you respond? Right? How do you respond in a practical way? How do you respond when someone compliments your outfit? When someone compliments Cooper on how he's dressed this morning? Right? Well, pride would say, oh, I'm glad you noticed. It's imported from Europe. Poverty says, oh, this old thing, I bought it on sale at Target. Right? A spirit of pride tries to make people think that we paid more than we actually did for it. 
and a spirit of poverty wants people to think that we paid less. And both of them are actually the same thing, just opposite ends of the spectrum. They want us to focus on the stuff rather than the one who bestowed it. Right? And so poverty feels the need to try and justify purchases and justify possessions because it equates blessing with evil. And so it causes you to say, I I can't let you think that I spent very much money on anything because that would mean that I'm not spiritual. Can you see the trap? That actually both things are wanting us to focus on the stuff rather than on the one who bestows the blessing. Right? Come on, I'll give you a personal example so we can... A few years ago, for a wedding anniversary gift, Elise bought me a pair, a pair of um, R.M. Williams shoes. <laughs> See, like I'm really striking a nerve here this morning. And to be honest with you, I was really embarrassed by them. Because they're worth 600 bucks. Who would spend $600 on a pair of shoes? Truth is, it was a very generous gift from Elise. And it was, it was a great gift because really great gifts are the things you'd never buy for yourself. You could never justify doing that. That's what makes them such a great gift. And so Elise had like saved and laid by these things and, and she didn't just get like, she got the model that was exactly the ones, they've got the comfort support and whatever else they're in them, it's what they were worth. And I became really embarrassed by them. And, and when people would go, oh, you got a pair of RMs. I'd be like, oh yeah, look, they're a gift. I'd never buy them for myself. And and I realized that actually what Elise was giving me that was supposed to be a blessing, I was really embarrassed by. And I was deifying a pair of shoes. Who cares what's on your feet? Right? It's great that Elise gave me this. But, but actually, it doesn't change me. And, and here's the truth, right? When you think about your situation in life, pride will try and get you to say, I deserve more. And poverty will say, I should feel guilty. But gratitude is the answer. Because gratitude says, thank you, God. Listen to this. Gratitude. Gratitude is an attitude of thankfulness that always acknowledges God's provision. Right? Gratitude is the answer to pride. It's also the answer to poverty because it takes our focus off the stuff and it places it back where it should be on the master. Remember, everything they were given, it wasn't theirs, right? They were to be stewards of what was the master's, right? And so gratitude is the answer to a poverty mindset and it's also the answer to a pride mindset. And so when someone says to you, wow, you have a nice house, pride says, you know, actually, we were going to build a bigger one. And poverty says, oh, no, 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 it was, a, it was a foreclosure. We bought it much lower than market value. And gratitude says, thank you. The Lord has really blessed us. When someone says, you have a nice car, pride says, actually, I've got three more of them. And poverty says, actually, actually, it's a company car. And gratitude just says, thank you. Right? Pride wants people to think that you paid more. And poverty wants people to think that you paid less. And gratitude does not care about what people think. It only cares about what God thinks. And so when someone remarks about something that God has given you the responsibility to exercise stewardship over, don't lie about it. 
Just tell the truth and be grateful. Notice what they were given didn't belong to them. And they were all given different amounts. And in a culture that deifies wealth and is geared towards comparison, here's what you and I have got to protect our hearts from. We've got to protect our hearts from comparing with what others have. And we've got to make sure that we don't give in to a spirit of pride or of poverty. So don't worry about what the master put into the hands of the other servants. Begin to steward well what God put in, that the outcome might look different to the person who's next to you, but it will require the same diligence and faith as it requires for you. They were each given different amounts. Here's the third thing that we notice in the parable that Jesus tells, that the expectation of the master for all of them was increase. Verse 20, this is what the scripture says. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you well done, good and five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he who'd received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler, says, enter into the joy of your Lord. But look at what Jesus says for the last servant. Listen to Jesus' words that come from the master, verse 26. But the Lord answered and said to him, the guy who had one talent, you wicked and lazy servant. That's really harsh, right? And notice verse 26, the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, And then he ends the story in verse 30 by saying, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That that seems a bit harsh. In Jesus' parable, that this is actually like, this guy didn't lose the money, he just simply hid it in the ground and then then gave back what he was already given. But but of course, the expectation of the master was, was not only were they given something that didn't belong to them, it belonged to the master, And not only did he give them different amounts, but the expectation for each of them was actually for increase. That was the expectation of the master. And so notice what the master does. In verse 28, he says, So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Right? That really cuts across our conscience, right? Because that seems completely unfair. But, But of course, the master's desire... Is not fairness, it's good stewardship. And so the expectation of the master is that they would be good stewards with what they were given and that their stewardship would bring blessing and increase. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells another parable. It's the parable of the shrewd manager. And Jesus kind of concludes this story this way in Luke 16 and verse 10. This is what the scripture says. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if, you have, um, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? That, that who would give true riches to someone who actually, their, their personal finances are constantly in a mess? That actually they don't know how to steward what's already been given to them. In the same way, why would God, who has the power to be able to bless, give influence and even wealth if he can't trust you and I as good stewards? The truth is, is that God is looking to people to be able to entrust much. And he also knows that a person who is unjust with a little is going to also be unjust with much. And Christians who will cheat with a little won't suddenly become faithful when they have a lot. Come on, 
That rings true, doesn't it? Even in our own hearts and in our own experiences. This is true. You can take this to the bank. Excuse the pun. That money doesn't change people. Come on, you know examples of this even in your own family. Money doesn't change people. What money does is it simply reveals them. It simply accelerates what's in their heart. Why? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's amazing how that acceleration really reveals what's in a person's heart. And so money doesn't change people. Money simply reveals people. And so if you keep money out of your heart, this is true. If you keep money out of your heart, you'll find that God keeps it in your pocket. Come on, you know of people, and so do I, that that has been the story and the testimony of their life, that if you'll keep money out of your heart, right, and keep it in the right place in your life, not as the master of your life, but as the servant, if you'll keep it out of your heart, then God will always put it in your pocket. But this is equally true, that if God can get money through you, then God will get money to you. Why? Because ultimately what God wants, it's not our money, he wants our, our heart. Think about it this way. We're going to look at the principle of first fruits next week. But, but just as a way of being able to illustrate this for us, right? This idea that there's a desire from the master for increase and that money reveals our hearts, right? Imagine for a minute that, that I was going away for a few months and, and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to make sure that Elise and the kids were looked after. And so, and so I picked three guys. I've got Harry and Dara and Cooper, and, and so for Harry, Darren, and Cooper, I say to them, for each of them, the same thing. Boys, I'm going to transfer you $10,000 a month. Yeah. <laughs> Cooper's already counting up for his Tesla. I can see it. Right? I'm going to transfer you $10,000 a month. You can keep $9,000 of it. Spend it however you like. All I need you to do is I need you to transfer $1,000 each month to Elise to take care of her needs. Imagine after three months, I, I check in with Elise and say, how's it going? And Elise says, well, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going fairly well. Like, Harry's been really kind. Do you know, Harry, every, every month, every month, at the very start of the month, he transfers $1,000 just as you instructed him. Right? So that's good. I'm glad. That's what I asked him to do. He's doing what I've asked him to do. That's great. And, and how about Dara? How's Dara doing? Well, Dara, he's actually sending me $2,000 a month. And I don't even know why he's doing it. But, but he just is. And honey, how's Cooper going? <laughs> well, he sent me $800 the first month. And he sent me $300 last month. And I haven't seen anything this month. <laughs> it's a simple illustration, right? But it proves the point. Out of those three boys... And I love all of them, right? This is just a fictional illustration. It's amazing how accurate it feels, though. Um, <laughs> truth is, I'm, I'm happy that Harry is doing what I asked him to do. He's doing what I asked. But how many people know that, it, that it's actually Dara who I trust? Why? Because he has demonstrated that he cares about what I care about. And that makes him a good steward. Because what I care about is Elise and my kids, right? And for all of those three guys, they all get the same scenario. But one of them is actually proving his stewardship because he's demonstrating what's in your heart 
is also in mine. And so what they were given did not belong to them. What they were all given was different amounts. The expectation of the master for each of them was increased, and here's the fourth and final one as the worship team comes back. It was actually what they believed about money. It was actually not what they believed about money. It was what they believed about the master that made the difference. That's actually true. It wasn't what they believed about money. That wasn't the problem. It was what they believed about the master that made the difference. Listen to what the last servant says in verse 24. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. You can actually hear his heart speaking, can't you? That even as he's revealing what's happened, he's actually just revealing his heart. I knew you to be a hard man. You expect too much of us. I was afraid, and so I went and hid. What they did with the money was ultimately a revealer of what they believed about the master. Notice the other two servants don't say anything like that. It's only the last servant who says that. Why? Because it's actually what he believed about the master and the master's heart. Billy Graham put it like this. He said, tell me what you think about money, and I will tell you what you think about God. For these two are closely related. A man's heart is closer to his wallet than anything else. Let me read that one more time. Tell me what you think about money, and I'll tell you what you think about God. For these two are closely related. A man's heart is closer to his wallet than anything else. Would you stand to your feet this morning? This is important. This is, this is one of the areas, right, in terms of our own journey of faith, that actually the Bible's got a lot to say on. And it's helpful for us because nothing reveals our heart quite like it. And so I hope this morning that we leave this morning feeling a little bit challenged. I feel that way, right? Just to, again, in my own life, just to be able to right-size finance in my own heart and in my own mind. To be reminded again that actually it's God who's my provider. That, that actually every good thing that finds its way into my life actually comes from God. And it's my responsibility, right, to begin to steward well all that God has entrusted me with. And that's way broader than just finance. But, but for this series, we're, we're focusing it on that very thing. That I want to be a good steward with what God has given me. And so I'm asking myself questions like, what does my bank account statement say about the condition of my heart, right? And, and, and who am I choosing to honour? And how am I stewarding what God has given to me? Because here's the truth. When you prove the faithfulness of God in the area of finance, it'll give you faith to believe God in every other area of your life too. So can I pray for us this morning? Lord, I thank you this morning, God, for your word. And Lord, I just pray today that by your Spirit, that God, you would just seal this word in our hearts. That God, for different, for different ones of us today, that God, there might be different things that have leapt out even in this message. Holy Spirit, I pray that you bring it back to our remembrance. That God, we would begin to honour you and put you in, our right, in your rightful place. That we wouldn't find ourselves succumbing to a spirit of poverty, but, but also not to a spirit of pride either. That it's actually not about the stuff, 
It's about the faithful God who gives. And so God, we do just today, just begin to realign and recalibrate even our own hearts around this idea of stewardship. God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and your blessing in our lives. God, I know that there'll be people who are here today who are believing, God, for breakthrough financially in different areas. God, there'll be people who are here today who are running businesses, who are believing, God, to see your faithfulness. There'll be people here today who've applied for work this week. They're believing to, to do well in those interviews. And there's people who've put out contracts and they want, they want to see those things come back in. They've put in tenders and they want to see, God, your favor upon them. Lord, I just pray today that God, in the most unprecedented way for every single person who's in this room, that God, you would show yourself faithful as our provider. That God, when the, the media and when the news and when the newspapers are talking about gloom gauges at Comsec, that God, we'd be reminded that we serve a God who is not subject to our economy. He has his own. That we serve a God who is our provider, who's well outside of our own little ecosystem. God, that you remind us again of your faithfulness. God, for your blessing and your favor upon people's lives. God, in the most unprecedented way, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.